You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone! Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. That's right. It is A's cast live on the field as we get you ready for A's baseball. As the A's are starting a three-game set against the Minnesota Twins. As we're watching the A's take BP, Sheldon Noisy is taking ground balls at third base. Watching guys taking hacks. Big Murph just launching it out of the ballpark here. It's one of the great things about not being in a studio and being on the field and watching everything that's going on and what everybody's working on, trying to get better, trying to get ready for the action tonight. Uh, Pitchers are pretty much done down in the bullpen, but all the action is going to be with the hitters. And it is just, you know, I wish we'd see more of this in the game, but if you could see Sean Murphy's BP, he just launches balls out of here. Hopefully that will go tonight because obviously the big problem with the athletics is the offense. It's not with the pitchers. And that's why I'm excited about what we're going to see today. But before we talk about all that, who's coming on the program today? Scott Emerson, the pitching coach, is going to be here. We're going to talk pitching at 415. One of the great players of his era uh, you talk about champions. You talk about a guy that haunted the A's, haunted everybody, and has turned himself into a jazz musician, award-winning jazz musician, and he's going to be playing the national anthem today. The great Bernie Williams is going to be here coming up at 430. Cannot wait to talk to Bernie about, you know, obviously what, he, what happened to his father and the cause that uh, – he is championing with his family right now and a lung, a lung disease that took his father's life, that reading about this lung disease that kills almost as many people in this country as breast cancer. So as we talked breast cancer yesterday, we'll talk about this lung, de- lung disease today with Bernie Williams and about his legendary career. I personally, if I had a vote and you could say Hall of Famer or not, I would say Hall of Famer. And I got these numbers about his career, but forget his just his career. Take what he did in the postseason. It's unbelievable. We'll talk to the four-time World Series champion coming up here at 430. Ken Korak, the voice of your Oakland Athletics, is on the field as we speak. We can see the silver-haired devil as, uh, right now uh, over by the batting cage. And the voice will join us at 445. And then Dan Hayes, who covers the Twins for the Athletic, will be here at 5 o'clock. Bay Area guy. No, he's not a Bay Is he a Bay Area guy? Yeah, North Bay, I believe. 
He, I remember he came on with us before and he said, Chris, I used to listen to you on KMBR. Back in the old days. That's the commander. How are you today? I'm, I'm great. It's a very nice day. Uh, I'm excited to meet Bernie Williams. You know, I watched him growing up as a kid. I could actually say I watched him as a kid because, you know, I didn't, say I, get to, I didn't get a chance to say I watched Willie Mays growing up like everyone else says and Hank Aaron. Well, I never said I watched Willie Mays growing up. I didn't watch well, Willie well, Mays. Well, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, you think I saw you, Hank Aaron and Willie Mays? You might have saw the tail end of their careers. Willie, Ma- Willie Mays is – never mind. Willie Mays is last year when you were like one. Right, his last year was 73? Yeah, those was the World Series against yeah. the A's. Yeah, yeah you're, you're I, was, one. I was one. I wasn't even – was I even one yet? But yeah, March. Yeah, I would have just – I'd be one years old when Willie Mays hung him up. What was it like watching Willie back then? I got to tell you, I thought, you know, he's kind of overrated, and he wasn't that great of a player, and I was questioning his bat speed. I was questioning – I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of their manager, Yogi Berra. I, was, I, don't know, I don't know if he ever did anything as a player, but as a manager – I can tell you, when I was one years old, I didn't think he was a good manager either. I didn't like his moves. <laughs> I didn't, especially when he was in the American League Park dealing with the DH. You know, so Bernie Williams, uh, we'll talk to him. And, and, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, the A's they got out to a ten and nine start. Since then, they're the worst in the majors at five thirteen. And what I'm excited about today. It's not about the offense, obviously, because the offense, they have scored one or less runs three times in the last four games. What do you got to do in this game to win? Uh, score runs. Who proved that yesterday? Uh, that would be my Pittsburgh Pirates with a big, big win. So the Pittsburgh Pirates come into yesterday, and I'm, I'm assuming it's the same today because they only scored one run yesterday. They came in yesterday the least amount of runs in the National League. They were third lowest in batting average. They're at the bottom of everything, home run, slugging, on base, whatever you want to put out there. And they win a game. Why did they win the game? Because they scored more runs than the other team. And that's all that matters. That's the one metric that matters. And they didn't even get a hit. Yeah, they didn't get a hit. They were walked several. I think it was four or five walks. But the, the run scored on, you know how it scored? A fielder's choice. They tried to turn a double play on Key Brian Hayes. He's too quick down the line. He reached first. The run scored. They won one nothing. Didn't record a hit. Not an official no hitter according to Major League Baseball because they didn't go at least nine innings. But still, that's a, what six team to do that to have a no hitter and uh, get no hit and, and win. The last team to do it was the Dodgers back in 08 against the were they the Anaheim Angels still or the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? In two thousand and eight, fourteen years ago, I would say they they would two thousand eight they would be the Anaheim Angels. They were they were they lost Disney. They lost the game. You got through Disney in there, yeah, or of Orange County, because when they made the official change, I don't know if this will ever be a trivia question, and I don't know if I'm 100 percent right on this. All I remember is I'm doing the pregame show here, and I got brought a piece of paper from the Angels PR staff, and it said, we are no longer the Anaheim Angels. We are the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And they brought it to me, and I was about to go on air. And I'm like, do you think I really care? I don't work for you. I, and I still call them the Anaheim Angels. But I think the official change from LA, from Anaheim to L.A. happened while they were here at the Coliseum, or what they wanted the public to call them at that point, if I am correct. It may be a trivia question. I don't know. But, yes, it goes to show 
you come to the ballpark every day, you can see something that you've never seen before. I remember watching part of it. I didn't see the, the, the game, but it was at the old Comiskey when Andy Hawkins of the Yankees threw a no-hitter against the White Sox because there was a couple errors in the game. I remember watching that game. I think it might have been on WGN at the time. I remember watching it where Andy Hawkins loses the no-hitter to the White Sox. He's oh no, he, th- he actually threw a no-hitter. Yeah. Threw the nine innings of no-hit baseball and took the L. It's it's incredible. I mean, I think the weirdest thing – you asked me this earlier. Uh, I think the weirdest thing I've ever seen in person – I'll grab that. The worst That's thing, like Bernie yeah, William The notes, weirdest thing the I've way. ever seen in person was the Pirates losing a game 20 nothing. Oh, believe it or not, at PNC Park back in 2009. The other weird thing that happened yesterday in baseball – we saw a pitcher get a hit a home run off Albert Pujols. Yes. Don't get me started. Yes, I do not want to. I'm not starting on a negative note. <laughs> I am not. I, I have a note on this. The fact that there is a like outward celebration right now that Albert Pujols took the mound is. Do I think it's cool? Yeah, I have a good time with it, but it makes me really. Um, or I should say this. It allows me to come after the integrity police. I can't stand the integrity police. I can't stand these people that come out of their holes with this whole thing about the tradition of baseball and how baseball should be. And da-da. See, you're already taking me down that road. But it's stuff like this that, that allows me to go, oh, you want to talk about unwritten rules. You want to talk about how the game's supposed to be played. And you curmudgeons come out of nowhere and talk about that's not how you play baseball. But now we're all going to laugh that Albert Pujols is the second oldest pitcher in the history of the game to make his debut. All right, I'm going to get into it. You want to bring me well, hold to on, it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have the highlights. You want to hear any of the highlights? No. I'm just going to tell you he is the second oldest pitcher in the World Series era since the start of 1903 to make his debut. Do you know who, at 42 year at 42 years old, 119 days, do you know who the oldest is? Uh, I don't. Uh, was Ichiro on that list? Ichiro was third. Okay, he was 41 or something, right? 41 and 347 days, October <laughs> 4, 2015. I'll take you back to that famous day of 1929, June 5th. Lena Blackburn, at 42 years, 225 days, is the oldest pitcher to ever make his debut in Major League Baseball. Give me the year again. 1929. I think my grandmother and grandfather were playing that radio broadcast back one day for me when I was younger. We'll ask Ken Korak if he can go back and remember <laughs> that game. As he always says, he's older than dirt. We'll, 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 we'll remember back. Yeah. But, yeah, there's the integrity of the game. Albert Pujols is now a pitcher. That's the integrity of the game. Um, one thing before we talk to Ken, and something that we can get into with Ken, by the way, this National League, or excuse me, this American League West, really interesting. And just having seen the Angels for four days and the firepower that they have, seeing Verlander get another win last night at 39 years old, and knowing that, the Astros, other than the Yankees, and by the way, I think the Yankees could be a house of cards. Maybe I can prove it. Maybe I can't. But the Astros aren't. And Dan O'Dowd, who – can we get him on the program soon? Uh, I know some people network. I can ask. Dan O'Dowd's my favorite on MLB Network, and I only got to watch the first part of it today, but I think he said it the best. 
The Astros are the one team in baseball right now. Why should well I'll say in the American League because I think the Dodgers are this way too, and maybe why they're the two best teams in baseball. They can beat you anyway. Dodgers almost got swept by the way over the weekend against the Phillies. It wasn't for the Phillies bullpen imploding yet again, but I agree with you on what you're going. But they can beat they can beat you with power. They can beat you with small ball. They can beat you with their pitching. They can beat you in so many different ways. To where the Yankees, I will prove to you a little bit later when you want it, they are purely built on the home run. For, oh, for sure. Two of their guys lead, are leading the American League in home I'll runs. Just, I'll just, the top four. I'll just give you this stat on the Yankees. The Yankees have scored 53.3% of their runs via the home run this season, the highest percentage in MLB. Not surprised. So – what happens to them in the postseason? They don't hit home runs; they go home. Yeah, well, we've seen that happen here a few times. Yeah, that's that's the problem. That's like it's like everybody loves this during the regular season, and they say, "Oh, look at all the home runs they hit!" But then all of a sudden, you in the postseason, you think you're facing the best pitching staffs in the game. Now you're not hitting the long ball; you're gone, and you haven't been to the World Series since 2009. That's where the Astros, and maybe just maybe. If what you're seeing with Patrick Sandoval and, and Detmers and Syndergaard and all these pitchers for the Angels, I don't know how. My big question is innings. Where are they going to get all the innings? I don't think they know right now where they're going to get all the innings. But if their pitching holds up, I don't know how you don't see them as the I mean, the Angels and the Astros are going to be an interesting watch. With all the firepower the Angels have, if they can get the pitching, bullpen's better. And the Astros, Astros all around. And by the way, look what they've lost. Yeah. Correa, Springer, you name it. Look at the pitchers they still yeah. have going. Yeah, and McCullers is still not back yet from injury. And they can throw in a guy like Christian Javier that they can throw yeah. in there. Luis Garcia's a, a nice young pitcher for them. They're 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 balling right now, so it's like uh, it, it is a very interesting match. Are we doing emo first? Yeah, well, we we can go to break real quick and then get emo on. Scott Emerson, the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics, the great Scott Emerson, next right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. Talk to us about spin rates. A's cast live from the field, and we're always going to want to hook up throughout the season with Scott Emerson, the pitching coach, and just to talk about the art of pitching as the Twins come to town. And when you have a team that hits a lot of home runs, which they have in the past few years, of course, setting the record a few years ago, what is it like in the meetings when you're talking to your pitchers about the long ball, and obviously keeping the ball in the yard is a priority. Well, one of, one of the most important things is, you know, uh, and I always talk about if hitting's time and pitching is disruption of timing, but, you know, we just played the Twins last week, and it's very important for our guys to stay on location because they know what we're trying to do. Uh, we know they know what we're trying to do, so it's very important that our guys, you know, change speeds, be unpredictable, but most importantly, uh, hit the location that uh, – they're intended for the focus today for me is pitching to contact because you hear it all the time but people may not well what do you mean pitch to contact like you want them to hit it and it's you know the classic line from bull durham or crash davis is like stop trying to stop trying to strike everybody out strikeouts are fascist do you want to do you want to use your defense and when we say pitch to contact what exactly does that mean well, you know, it, it still goes back to the change speed, but it, more importantly, it's not pitch to contact, it's pitch to soft contact. You know, it's get them off the barrel, get pitches that, uh, you know, that don't go to the barrel, uh, run it away from the barrel, run it in off the barrel, change speeds enough to where they can't find the barrel with the ball. So, you know, we stress, uh, you know, pitching to soft contact, getting ahead, changing speeds, make them reach. Uh, get balls inside so you can keep the outer part of the plate, elevate the fastball so you can go something slow down at the bottom of the strike zone. And when you have that ability to locate your pitches and move it around, then you're going to probably get more soft contact than anybody else. If you're constantly behind in the count and you're throwing fastballs, and you know, velo is important, but it's useful velocity that we're looking for. So if you really throw hard and you can't locate or you can't use your fastball, then your fastball is worth nothing. But if you have useful velocity, whatever you throw, how hard you throw it, you still have to locate it. But the best way to locate that fastball and uh, for them not to hit the fastball very hard is have a second pitch or a third pitch that you can throw and they have to chase, and that's the disruption of timing part. Now, somebody at home might be saying, okay, you stay off the barrel, but staying off the barrel is different for every hitter because every hitter is different. Every hitter swings differently. Every hitter is a different size. The angle of which they come through the hitting zone. Some guys are looking for launch. Some guys are hitting down on the ball. Everybody's different. Some guys like the ball in. Some guys like the ball away. Some guys like Ichiro or Tony Gwynn. Doesn't matter. They like the ball anywhere. So when you say pitching off the barrel, how do you do that when all the hitters are different? Well, you, you obviously, you know, this game now uh, comes with great data. And the data helps us support where we need to go. You know, every hitter has a weakness generally to where you can throw the fastball. 
Uh, you know, I look at exit velo, that's the soft contact. You look at exit velo, so you fall behind in the count and you have to throw a strike. Where's the hitter's um, uh, exit velos at? Where does he hit the ball hard when you're behind in the count? Because you have to throw a strike when you're behind in the count. Everybody knows when you get ahead of a count, ahead of a hitter, you're trying to expand the strike zone. You're trying to get them to chase a pitch outside the strike zone. But when you fall behind in the count, where can I go to get that soft contact? And the data helps support, you know, I can throw the slider down the way, which, you know, is good if you can execute the pitch. You always have to execute the pitch as well. You know, I, I, I always say, you know, you get some rookies up here and they're trying to pitch to the data. Everybody knows that the fastball is the hardest uh, contact pitch. It's also the contact uh, or also the pitch that, you know, in general you're working all your pitches off of. And, um, you know, you might not throw – 50% or more fastballs in the game, but generally that fastball is thrown a little bit more than all your other pitches. So when it does get hit, uh, it gets hit you know, a little bit harder than the other pitches. So you got to be able to move that fastball around, play with the useful velocity, be able to throw that change up in a fastball count or that breaking ball in a fastball count. And when you're messing up the hitter's timing, generally you're going to pitch the soft contact. Every hitter has his weaknesses. You know his weaknesses, he knows his weaknesses, and every single time he goes into a different city or another team comes into his city, people are going to try and exploit those weaknesses. So your pitchers are going to try and get him out through those weaknesses, but he's now looking to better that also. So how much do you want to play with that? Do you want to keep just trying to exploit that before you might get burned if you do it too many times? Well, you know, that's the, uh, the important uh, piece back to the data you know what what's trending for this hitter obviously we look at a big sample size what the hitter does who he normally is and then you look over his last 10 games or his last 10 hits or his last 20 swings and you're starting to see what he's doing is he changing his approach and if he's changing his approach and having some success then we got to do some things to get him off of that if he's not ha changing his approach and still not having success we're going to attack his weakness but the pitcher has to have a strength to attack his weakness. If the pitcher doesn't have that strength to be able to attack that hitter's weakness, then we got to go to areas of the plate that, that the pitcher is really good at. And the one thing that you know we always try to do is exploit what the hit, our guys do well too. Not just look at the data of the hitter and say, well, he can't hit a fastball down and away. And our pitcher says, well, we can't throw a fastball down and away. So then we look at all the other options and how we use that fastball. We might cover that fastball and not throw it as much down and away. Or uh, that's the one thing that's really important with the fastball is you can cover it all over the strike zone. You know, you can mask it a little bit, and you can go in off the plate. You can pitch behind in the count. Uh, if guys chase with it, you can pitch ahead in the count with it to the chase zone. So the important part of the fastball is you can use it all quadrants in all areas. And, and just not to be too simplistic, but the reality is whenever you're spinning the baseball or you're putting any type of movement on the baseball, it's harder to throw strikes. To throw a strike, throwing something that's as straight as possible is always going to be the easiest thing to get a strike. Yeah, you know, the breaking ball is spinning, so generally the breakers are in the zone, out of the zone, and you're depending on the hitter to swing the bat. Uh, you're depending on that pitch to look like a strike as long as possible. So when you throw a breaking ball inside the strike zone, generally it's a hanging ball. It's a ball that can be you know, hit pretty hard. But the object is to make it look like a strike as long as possible, and boom, it falls off the table. You remember we used to say it fell off the yeah. table, and that's kind of you know what we want out of our breaking balls. Then we got to know 
can I throw it in off, uh, we call it wrap at the guy's feet, or do I still need to stay arm side and back door and make him reach on it? So that's where all the data and all the analytics really help us out where we can do all this stuff. It's why I'm standing here talking to you because mine didn't fall off the table. Yeah, yours, yeah. It's, it stayed in the strike zone. You're backing up third a lot. <laughs> you know. Been there, done that one too. That's what we were talking. Who were we talking cutter with the other day? We were talking about that cut, and it's like, the cut fastball is so – because it doesn't have the break that the slider has, and it's such a late, small break. But just that little bit really throws hitters off. But if it doesn't have that little bit, it's going to end up like 500 feet. It's like the, the hanging cutter slider is by far the easiest pitch to hit. Well, that's where we go back to off the barrel. You know, if you're throwing it right on right and it's chasing the barrel away and that guy has to go out and reach, he has to go out – even further to reach but if it backs up he doesn't have to reach it's right into his swing plane the mental mindset of a pitcher who gets an out with one pitch versus grinding a six seven eight who knows how many pitches still get the out but the difference of the mentality for that guy for that next batter rest of the game when you start getting those we like to call them easier outs yeah yeah most definitely you know uh, some people uh, are talking about, you know, what is a perfect game? You know, 27 outs, that's what I'll say. Some will say 27 outs on 27 pitches or 27 strikeouts. You know, for me, any time that you can get a ball in play and get the ball off the barrel first pitch, we know who's swinging first pitch. They know, you know, we know who's swinging first pitch. That's, in, that's where the location becomes ultimately important that, hey, this guy's swinging first pitch. I got to put it in a good spot. You know, I remember Oral Hershiser used to say, you know, that guy who pitched for the Dodgers. That is pretty yeah, good. It is pretty good. That uh, if he likes it low, I'm going to throw it a little bit lower than low. So the guy's tempted to swing at it. As it comes to the strike zone, the ball falls out of the zone a little bit. They swing. That's a ball in play early. Hopefully it's an out. Now, with, with pitching to contact in the era that we're in now, and you have all these players moving around, I mean, this could be the Rays, and, hell, you could have five outfielders, let alone four outfielders, and you got infielders all stacked on one side, whether it's the right or the left. And let's say you pitch to contact. How much is it important that the pitcher know what's going on behind him defensively, or does that guy just need to focus on doing what he does on the mound? No, that's 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 built into our our, our game plan. You know, Darren Bush is our run prevention guy. He's uh, you know very good at what he does. He, he spends a lot of time at looking at how we're pitching guys and where we're playing guys. So me and him spend a lot of time together talking about, hey, where do we think guys should play? Mike Aldretti does the outfield. And it, it's a huge part in to help save and runs, uh, putting guys into where, you know, not only the guy's tendency to hit the baseball, but where our guys pitching, where they hit the baseball off him. And we try to put the guys in the best position to have success and, and get quick outs. I don't know what the data says. I do know this. When I see three guys, which is your third, short, and second baseman all on the left side, and a pitcher throws it to a right-hand batter and he hits a routine ground ball to second base and gets a base hit, I throw my pen. I'm disgust. It just it fries me. And it, you may say, well, we'll give that. We'll give that up because the data shows we win more than we don't. But I can't imagine being on the mound and that happens, me just not going, you son of a. Yeah, you know, it's like, like – you, How do you feel as a pitching coach? Well, you know, I, as long as we're grabbing the outs that are up the middle, you'll love it, right? But, uh, no, I feel good about it because that's that's the study. That's the homework that we do every day. 
You know, Pike Goldschmidt helps us out as well, one of our analysts, and Darren uh, Jackson. Uh, these guys, they, they spend their time, uh, or David Jackson, they, they spend their time, you know, studying what's going on and, and the data. And that's how we go about our business. And the data is not going to lie to you. You know, we talked about that. The data won't lie. Now, yes, it's like we throw a first pitch uh, called strike one and it's a ball off the plate and uh, we don't say a word. And then we throw a 3-2 fastball and a ball's off the plate. What are we? We're mad. We're mad that he didn't call it. We, we weren't mad that he, we didn't throw the first one off the plate and go, hey, that really was a ball. Thank you, you know? So it, it's kind of just, it is what it is. And, and when you do a lot of homework and you're surfing the data and uh, you're just putting the guys in the best spot, and I think we do a really good job of it. I know this sounds crazy, but everything seemed to be about striking people out, blowing people away. How much now, where we are in 2022, is it getting more back to, I want good strikes, the pitch to contact, utilize these great athletes behind you, don't try and strike everybody out because we're not going to allow you to go deep into a game. So we're not going to allow you to get 120, 30 pitches. So if you're trying to strike everybody out, you're not going to be out there very long. Yeah, I think a lot of it's on, you know, your personnel, what, what, who you got who you got pitching, who can command their fastball the best. You know, there are some guys around the league that their breaking ball is their best strike pitch, and then their, be their breaking ball is their best expand pitch. So, you know, strikeouts for me, when you get to two strikes, yeah, let's let's hunt a strikeout. But before two strikes, let's move it around. Let's pitch to that soft contact. Let the defense play behind you. You know, you got a runner on first base and, and no outs or one out. You're always one pitch away from a double play. A one quality pitch away from a double play and that's what I always try to remind the guys you know when I go out to the mound you make a good pitch in this location and you get yourself a double play and we'll get out of this so you know the strikeouts you love them because it's a dominance factor but uh, you know sometimes what comes with strikeouts are walks and then what comes with strikeouts and walks that occasional hanger the two three run homers which you're trying to avoid so you just got to make sure you keep the ball in the park don't walk people or you can walk some people and keep the ball in the park so it's it's just a big combination of things talking pitching with the pitching guru scott emerson great stuff as always next time what do you want to address hey i, I just answer your questions I, whatever you you're the boss of the show that's why it's called the chris townsend show right well, so, Bay's cast or with Chris Townsend. So whatever you whatever you want to come up with, I'm I'm going to answer your questions. It's like you guys are finally coming around and understanding yeah, hey, what the hell's hey. going on you're around here. You're looking good, uh, feeling good. You got your new studio looking great. By the way, you got to be proud of. Uh, before we let you go, I know you got to go, but you got to be proud of a lot of your pitchers, especially these young kids. They are throwing strikes. They're not walking anybody. I'm trying to highlight that on the different shows. I think you got to be proud of what you are doing with your staff. Well, you know, it, it's, it's the whole organization, you know, trying to get uh, Mark Kotze putting guys in games to have success, and, and that's what we've always tried to do. And, and we got guys that, you know, they're not scared. You know, uh, some of the guys, you know, they've been around a while in professional baseball, maybe not here at the big league level, but uh, they've been around. They're not scared, and, uh, you know, they want to pitch, and, and that's important to me, you know, seeing guys, you know, eager to get out there and pitch and learn, and it's a lot of fun. Great stuff. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, Bernie Williams right here on A's Cast Live. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi everyone, Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. I was just thinking, we got to get that Willy Wonka, because I got a golden ticket. Because this is a golden ticket. You got the golden ticket anytime to come on A's Cast Live. I appreciate that. I'm deeply appreciative this of that. This is it right here. The great <laughs> yes. King Korak. You hear the voice. He's the voice of your Oakland Athletics. The Twins are in town. The Twinkies are here. Yeah, and I missed them on the last trip, as you know. So I'm looking forward to watching them play. They've got some good players, man. Yeah, you know, everybody wanted to anoint the White Sox, the winners of the AL Central before the season started. And uh, I think the Twins are like, not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso likes to say. They've done some things that I think hopefully the A's can do, and that is develop position players who can really be impactful. And that'll go a long ways if the A's can do that toward the A's developing that next wave of players who can contend and, and win divisions and get to the postseason because they've got some good, you know, guy, you know Buxton is their, yeah. their big star, but he's had a tough time staying on the field. He's had 85 at-bats. He has 11 home runs already this year, but uh, there are a lot of other guys who can, who can hurt you for sure. And when we talk about great athletes in the game, you know, we saw a couple of them this past four games, you know, with Trout and Otani and everything. But this guy is one of them, too, because not only the power, but the ability to run. I mean, when he hits a ball in the gap, it's yeah. look out, it's triple city. And they've been, you know, there's a story on MLB. I'm sure you saw it, that they're being really careful with him, too. And he may not play all three games of this series because he's been dealing with a knee thing and a hip thing and just trying to keep him on the field for the whole year. So there's a program that he's bought into this year with Rocco Baldelli, their manager. And if he can play 120 games, I think they would take that right now. I know that's just so crazy. I mean, and and part, you know, we see it with Otani too, is what they say, we don't want you stealing as much. We don't, it's like, you're telling a guy to play the game, but don't play the game the way that it got you here. It's kind of tough to do. It is, especially when you have the gifts that he has. Yeah. Right. But he, I think he played 140 games in 2017. He hasn't played more than a half season, the, the equivalent of a half season since then. So you understand where they're coming from, too. They want to make sure that he's he's totally healthy before they run him out there. You, you, know, you would think eight or nine games in a row, Chris. No, we see it in the NBA. They limit the minutes. Yeah. They, they say instead of you playing – 20-something, we're going to have you at 18, and we're going to do this for X amount of months and see, you know, because in the end, uh, we want you to be able to go 32, 33 minutes or maybe even more once you get to the postseason. And some guys get a bad rap to be like they're injury-prone or whatever. You know, most of the time it's it's not their fault, right? I mean, it's just bad luck or physiology or whatever, but uh, he's really had a tough go. 
Well, the one thing that I'm encouraged right now with the club, because obviously, you know, we're, you and I talk about it after every single game, after uh, quite a few losses, but uh, the young pitching, and we can talk about Frankie Montas is not young, but other guys, I mean, watching the pitching so far, it's been a lot of fun. They've gotten a lot of, and, and, and the kid going tonight, Zach Logue, they've gotten some, we're starting to find some guys that get outs. Absolutely, Chris, and it's a little frustrating because they could be, their, their record could be a whole lot better with more offense, but so much of this year, and you and I have talked about it, is, is about finding guys they can go forward with. And Zach Logue, we'll see what happens. He's 2-1. and one. He's got a 1-3-5. And he may not be long for the rotation because Cole Irvin's going out on a rehab tomorrow. But uh, he's really pitched well. I haven't seen him pitch except in spring training and the one game he pitched in relief where he got his first major league win. But he's, he's an interesting guy in that he doesn't throw that hard, but his fastball plays up. So he has, a, he has deception with his fastball and a really good cutter. So this will be a nice challenge for him. So it's, it's fun to watch these guys play. So much of this is about development and the mental side of the game. Like with uh, Tommy Everidge, the A's hitting coach. He was out at 2.30 this morning with Kevin Smith and with Christian Pache. This afternoon. Or this afternoon, not 2.30 in the morning. I'm sorry. Well, because if they're they at 2.30, the, right. what were they doing We got here? a problem. We got Two, some beers, and we're going to start hitting, boys. I needed that, that <laughs> correction. But the lessons that he was working with them on as much on the mental side of things as on the physical and the mechanical. Because as Katze said, all these guys, had a, they've had a ton of success, high school, college, minor leagues, wherever they're from. And now you get this taste of the big leagues where you're scuffling. It can eat you up inside. It can really be rough. And so almost every player who's had success has to get through that early stage where you start to scuffle. And how do, you, how do you deal with that mentally, I think, can go a long way toward determining what kind of player you're going to be. Yeah, and, and, and when you think about the mental side of this game, Zach Logue's a great example. He doesn't throw 100 miles an hour. He's throwing 90-91, but he's out there throwing with confidence. Don't tell him his fastball doesn't play. They all have it in here, Chris, or they wouldn't be here. And I think that, that's one of the things that, that coaches and managers have to reinforce. There's a reason you're here in the big leagues because we believe in you. You know, I forgot that we were in the American League West to start the year because everything was in the East and the Central, but now that we're starting to really uh, get into the West, once again, but we're back in the Central now mm -hmm. thinking about the Twins, but just seeing the Angels for four games, uh, looking at the Astros winning 12 of 13, this race in the West is going to be really interesting. Will the Halos have enough pitching? Can they get enough innings to get that offense to the postseason? That's always been the question with them. Six straight losing seasons. We didn't see Syndergaard. We didn't see Otani. You know, it, it's all about health. They're going. They're they're going with a six-man rotation, as you know. The A's aren't going to see Otani next weekend. They're not going to complain about it. No. Right. I mean, the kid uh, Silseth was tough enough on Friday night. So I think they do have enough pitching, and I think. I think one of the, the reasons for that is that they've got a veteran bullpen. They're, I think their bullpen is really good. So, yeah, I think they've got a real shot. I like the way they've built their club because they have some pieces who can help. Like the kid Velasquez had a wonderful series against the A's at shortstop. Under the radar, yeah. 
acquisition. Tyler Wade, who can play everywhere and runs real well. They so, were both the Yankees. Yeah, right. And they played up the middle against the A's, uh, Keystone guys. So they have some, I think they have some complementary pieces on their club that are good fits with the stars they have on their team. And now Rendon's getting hot. And that was the that was a big issue for the A's over the weekend. I know. We talked about that after the game. I asked you, I said, you know, all this time we've been talking about these guys and Rendon, Rendon's been struggling. And we know what a beast he was for all those years with the Nationals. Like, oh, my God, when he gets going, it's a whole different mm-hmm. ball game. And uh, <laughs> that is the case. Am I going to give up the mic? I would be happy to give up the mic. Do you know the, Bernie? I don't. I don't know him. No. <coughs> yeah, I don't Bernie really know Williams him. is now here. Yeah, I know. He's gonna be doing the national anthem. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You'll give up the mic We've for Bernie. Called a lot of games that he played against the A's in the postseason. So yeah, right. it'd be pretty cool. Well, All thank right, you man. very much for your time. I'll see you upstairs, The golden buddy. ticket is always yours. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate actually, the, am I talking to you today in the pre? Uh, you have Mr. Catronio today. But I'll be talking to you in the post. After the game, as you like to say. I talk to you after every game. I know. You're getting sick of it, aren't you? No, it's the best. <laughs> it's the best. You know, that I told them, and people are like, so I said, hey, listen, whatever Korak wants, you want to do. We've trained you well. Whatever I you appreciate do, that. Whatever you want to do. We have trained you very well. You, you, but I will defer. I will cede the rest of my time. To I, I will yield. Wow, it's like he's I on will, Capitol Hill right now. I will now. yield the rest of my time to Bernie Williams. Yeah, all right. Appreciate okay, it. Buddy. Appreciate the time. Yeah, it's going to be an honor to sock to Bernie Williams, the four-time World Series champion, um, a guy that's got a lot of history, no question, on this field. And tonight Bernie is going to be doing the national anthem with his jazz guitar and as a musician. Are we going to a break? Are we doing him here? What do you want to do? Bernie Williams up next right here on A's Cast Live. Sam has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's lastdivebar.com. Streaming from Ricky Henderson Field, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, I got to think when Bernie Williams steps on this field, he's got a lot of great memories from all those years playing. And then, of course, what you're going to do tonight with the national anthem, going to be very, very special. Uh, this, this has been, this house has, has been good to you in your career, and now will be good to you as a musician. Oh, my God, I am so grateful and uh, so fortunate to be here, be back after all these years. Uh, we had so many great uh, things happen to us as a team and, and to me personally. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a great ride, and uh, now, uh, you know, it's just kind of coming full circle for me, baseball and music together. You know, before we start talking about your baseball career, and even as a musician, you know, we celebrated women yesterday here at the Coliseum. Uh, who have had breast cancer. My mother passed away of breast cancer not too long ago. And I think about this disease that took your father that takes a lot of people don't realize how many people die of this. 
just like breast cancer in this country and the awareness you're bringing for your father. Before we get into all the other stuff, talk about that because I know that that's what means so much to you right now. Yeah, it is a cause that is near and dear to my heart because of uh, my father. I mean, my uh, Bernabe Williams Sr. Uh, was uh, the guy that took me in and uh, taught me how to play the game of baseball at a very young age. And he taught me how my first couple of chords on, uh, on the guitar where I actually developed this great love for music and sports. Uh, it was because of him and, of course, my mom. But uh, uh, in 2001, he passed away from this rare lung disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, uh, which is basically scarring of the lung tissue. And uh, it, is, uh, it is progressive, and it's, uh, it's terminal. You know, unfortunately, they haven't found a cure for it. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, he basically had it and uh he didn't know he had it until it was kind of too late so i think you know uh, me uh sort of raising awareness about it i think it could help a lot of people deal with this uh a lot of the symptoms that are attributed to ipf uh could be con confused with other you know uh illnesses like uh, uh asthma copd uh, bronchitis uh but uh we are encouraging people to go to the doctor as soon as they started feeling symptoms, uh, which, you know, kind of like normal, kind of like, you know, run-of-the-mill kind of thing, you know, it's like a, a persistent cough that doesn't end, you know, that's always there. Uh, you start feeling fatigue and tired, things that you usually took for granted, like going through a flight of stairs or, or walking, you know, down the beach or whatever it is, you know, start feeling all these things that are not usual, that are not normal. We're encouraging people to go to the doctor so they can be... Uh, refer to a lung specialist, and that person will be the one that could make the determination of, to whether or not you have IPF, because you definitely don't want that in your life. And, uh, you know, you can move on. And if you have it, you know, there's a, uh, a website called uh, lungsnu.com where you can get information about how to get, you know, options about your treatment. Uh, you, you can uh, be in contact with doctors, uh, uh, caretakers, and even patients that are going through this uh, same process uh, so you don't feel alone and you don't feel like you're battling this by yourself yeah when i was reading this today i'd never heard of it and then what i'm hearing it takes the lives of almost as many women as breast cancer and men can die of breast cancer and just to just to know that you know what you did in your career with the yankees is great and now what you can do from that career to help people and save lives has to be very gratifying and obviously honoring your father. Absolutely, no question about that. I think you know one of the things that that are the perks of, I guess, a profession like I had, was you are kind of given a platform to utilize to, you know, to make people aware of things that are close to your heart. If you want to help people, if you want to do whatever you want to do with your platform, uh, it's just a blessing to have the opportunity to speak to people and have the ear of people that will listen to you and what you have to say. So it's a, it's a, it's a blessing to have it, and I, I'm, utilize it, I'm util, utilizing it now to bring this cause into you know, the people's ears and, and, and eyes so they can be more aware about it. Obviously, you're a very proud man. Obviously, you had an unbelievable baseball career. But when that was over, and you, we just talked off the air about playing at Yoshi's, when you finally were recognized as Bernie Williams, the musician, <laughs> <laughs> what what did that mean to you? Because I know it's always about all oh, the World Series and all this kind of stuff, but now you're Bernie Williams and music. What was it like when people started recognizing you 
for your jazz guitar and what you've done in the two albums. What did that mean to you? Uh, very flattering. I think that, uh, you know, you put a lot of effort into, I put a lot of effort into playing guitar and becoming uh, the player that I have become. Uh, always keeping in mind that, you, you, you know, this thing never ends. It's like baseball. You always learn something new every time you play. Guitar is the same thing. Music is the same thing. You have to keep this attitude of always being in a position that you are able to learn something from every experience that you have. Uh, and uh, when I was playing baseball, <clears throat> to me, the most important thing, I mean, the other things were great. You know, the perks, you know, the traveling, you know, obviously the, the compensation was, you know, obviously not, not bad at all. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think to me what got me going was to get the respect of my peers where they could uh, look at you and say, look through the lineup and say, this guy is a player. Okay, we got to be careful with him, you know, because he knows how to play the game. He can hurt us, you know, whatever. Having that kind of level of respect uh, from your peers that are playing, you know, your opposition as well as your players, that was where I got my kicks from. So in music, it's kind of like the same. You want to go into the scene and, and practice and work so hard that people could see you pass that whole facade of, you know, this former, you know, sports person is going to come in and maybe hack some chords and follow along. You want them to recognize, you know, the, the work that you have done, which is kind of similar to what they have done in their careers to be to the point, point that they are. So being part of the group, uh, uh, it, it has worked. I think it, it's, uh, they, you get that respect because you, 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 you've realized that nothing is, is given to you. You have to earn it and you have to work for it. And makes total sense. You don't want to be known as, ah, he's just up there because he was a baseball player. Mm -hmm. And I think as a baseball player, when you took the field in the pinstripes, you're going out there with your teammates. Now you're going up there, and you have people behind you, but now you're front and center. It's all you. So all that time, and I have some stats here, 121 games in the postseason. Like, what did your baseball career do for you that now helps you being out front, being the performer, being the musician? Oh, there's so many parallels that I could draw from uh, the sports world into the music. Uh, first and foremost, uh, being a team player, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you're kind of out there front and center, but the people that are behind you backing you up, uh, I kind of take the whole music thing as a sort of learning a language and having a conversation with your band members. Uh, it's not about me being front and center and they backing me up. It's about me interacting with them and utilizing their talents also to make this collective uh, as good as it can be. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is performing under pressure. You know, when you're in the batter's box and you have, it's you, you and the pitcher, crowd seeing, umpire there, it's just this great uh, battle that you have psychologically and physically. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on you, but it's all about the preparation that you have put into to get to that moment. So in music, it's the same thing. You know, you go out there on stage, and if you're prepared and you know what you're playing and you have control of your, you know, instrument, uh, you can have more fun interacting with the, with the crowd and with the audience and getting them into the music. If you're not ready, it could be as hard, <laughs> <laughs> as challenging, as nervous yeah. as being on the plate with no, having no clue what's going to happen. So, uh, and then, you know, after that, I mean, there's so many more parallels that I could draw that uh, from the world of uh, sports, I was able to draw into my preparation as a musician. And they have worked, I mean, so good, so well. Well, you guys and that core group, I mean, like I said, you played in 121 playoff games. And you think about all the World Series. And I know you guys have gone back to Yankee Stadium. You've been honored, obviously. But have you guys really had a, had a time where you guys can really sit back and go, wow, look at everything we accomplished? 
Well, I tell you the truth, man. I, I still haven't gotten to that point where I can just sit on the couch and just say, you know what? It's been a long journey. It's been quite a, quite a, quite a ride. Uh, I kept, that's the same thing that I was doing when I was playing baseball. The moment that I would sit back and start looking at what I did, I would become stagnant and not grow. Uh, to me, it was all about the next at bat. It was all about the next game. It was all about the next season, uh, the next 10 years. You know, where am I going to go? You know, where, where is this going? Uh, so uh, it is kind of funny to think about the things that we did uh, and having the opportunity to maybe see some games, you know, in retrospect and see, wow, I, was, I looked a lot slimmer back then. <laughs> I had, we all I had, did. I had black hair, you know. It's just like, wow. Uh, it, it's kind of nice to see. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like a lifetime ago of, of, of uh, experiences. Uh, and, uh, you know, the one thing that I've always trying to stress is just moving into the next thing and what's next because then uh, life is too short, man, to just kind of rest on your laurels and then try to, you know, think about what you did in the past. As long as you ha I have a breath in my lungs, I'm going to try to keep pushing forward and do things that I've never done before, try new things and learn like it's my first day on the earth. <laughs> well, well I, I know A's fans would want to know. Go back to a, a couple of those series that were great battles and how loud this place was. Oh. And what was it like to be a Yankee going up against these A's, hard-nosed A's? That was kind of the start of what ended up being a movie, Moneyball and everything. That yeah. was leading up to that. What, what was it like playing against those A's, and what was it like playing in the stadium? It was awesome. I always liked playing in the stadium. Uh, I loved the, sort of the openness of it. Uh, as a hitter, it was a different story, though, because of the foul territory. It really got me frustrated. I got a pop fly. And, oh, man, the first baseman or the, or, the, or the third baseman catching that ball, it was so frustrating. But other than that, being able to play with these fans, which are probably I would compare them to, you know, the rivalry that we have in Boston with the Red Sox. Coming into the West Coast, this was probably the toughest place for me to play. Uh, and the fans were, you know, they, they were like that sort of uh, missing element, you know, that would jump in and uh, – really rattle the team, you know, and uh, it, it, you cannot do any, any mistakes out there. You can, I mean, there was, there was one time I think I was facing Mike Oakwist, who bases loaded, right? It, I think it was like a night game, and I'm battling with him, you know, ball one, ball two, strike out, foul, a couple of pitches, counts, goes to two and two. He throws me a fork ball in the dirt, right? And I see it, and it's like, okay, ball four. It's ball three, but I think it's ball four. So I start walking down the line, and I look in the dugout, I see everybody just falling off their chairs <laughs> laughing. Joe Torres like this. Oh, God, there we go again. And, and then I look at the, uh, at the batter's box, and the, the, the umpire's like, come back here. <laughs> so I was walking from first base thinking that I had to walk. So I'm, this count is 3-2. The, the fans are really over, really on me, like really riding me hard. Wouldn't you believe that the next pitch, uh, I hit it out of the ballpark? Grand Slam. As I'm running the bases, everybody's like, "Ooh!" Yeah. The, the, the dugout is just laughing, and the umpire is like, "Oh, you doofus, man! <laughs> it's such a lost cause." But yeah, that was kind of like you know part of the history that I had here in the stadium. Yeah, I know there's great history and some great battles. And let, let's end on this. I mean, you're going to go down. I mean, you think about Yankee great center fielders. You know, Joe DiMaggio was. Uh, from here in Northern California, you think Joe D, you think Mickey Mantle, you think Bernie Williams. I mean, oh, wow. that I mean, playing center field for the Yankees is kind of a big deal. 
Yeah, it's a very coveted uh, position in sports, all sports. That and shortstop, you know, I think Derek sort of made that uh, kind of a famous position as, were, as well. But uh, I think, you know, it was a combination of staying balanced and trying to be myself and not treat it, really try to put the pressure of emulating all these great players that played before me. And uh, at the same time, pushing myself to be the best that I could be so I could make my mark in the game, whatever that was, you know, at the time. Uh, trying to leave the game with no regrets, you know, put it all out there on the field. And, uh, you know, when it was time to go, it said, you know, I did it and I did it my way. I had a lot of great memories. I was very fortunate to be a part of uh, teams that went to the World Series. There's people that played this game for years and years and years and never really had an opportunity even to go to the playoffs. So I, we went to the World Series six times and we came victorious for them. So uh, it, it is something that you have to feel so much gratitude for, you know, the time, you know, the place, the people and all the experiences, you know, that, that I went through that are still, you know, so, so vivid to this, to this point, you know, and I, I'm so, so happy and uh, so blessed to have the opportunity to do that. I love you got the, the guitar on your back. You're ready to rock. Let's get this thing ready going. Ready to go. Ready to go. Hey, thank you so much for stopping Absolutely, by. We man. truly thank appreciate you. it. Uh, and okay. good luck with this second career. Uh, your, your music's fabulous. I know everybody can follow you online and, uh, kill it tonight oh man if i can if i can handle facing barazito out there this is going to be hopefully a lot easier <laughs> he's one of the greats of his time bernie williams right here on a's cast live the coliseum has gone by many names but none better than the last dive bar hi everyone ken korak here and my friends at last dive bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home last dive bar has the most unique merchandise for all oakland baseball fans t-shirts sweatshirts the ray fossey line and my personal favorite the lights have taken full effect visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at last dive bar all proceeds are invested back into local bay area charities go to lastdivebar.com that's last dive bar A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. How good was that? I mean, you want to go over the stats, these postseason stats of Bernie Williams? 121 games, 22 bombs, 80 RBIs, and a career 850 OPS in the postseason. In 121 games, that's that's a season for somebody. Like, if, if, if the A's pulled out a guy this year with 121 games, 22 jacks, 80 RBIs, and an 850 OPS, he'd be our best player. Yeah, and remember, Bernie Williams, the 22 home runs, is actually the third most in postseason history. Behind? Uh, that'd be Man Ram. And there's someone ahead of him now. Someone ahead of him? Someone did it last year? Oh, it's got to be an Astro. It is. Is it Correa? No. The 2017 AL MVP, Jose Altuve. Altuve has a most career postseason home No, he has second most. Manny's won at 29. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Uh, that's a fraud. Uh, that tells you a lot about the home run. N- nothing against Altuve. He is going to be. By the way, that's my. I think I got my captain. We're landing in Oakland. Uh, we have wind out of the southwest. We'll be there in 15 minutes. And uh, welcome to Oakland. It's actually not bad. Uh, <laughs> Bernie Williams, the stats versus the ace. Two six. Uh, geez. Two sixty-seven career average. 
16 homers, 80 RBI, and 16 steals versus the A's. At the Coliseum, 284 career hitter with seven home runs here at the Coliseum. I wanted to show young commander something that a lot of you may be like, hey, you said he, this guy should be in the Hall of Fame, or you just – listen, as you know, I can't stand the Yankees. I have the utmost respect for that man and what he did in his career. He had years. We're talking about, we're talking about a guy who has a batting title. We're talking about a guy that had years where he hit 330 to 342, 30 bombs, 100-something RBIs, and couldn't break the top 10 in MVP voting. He's a center fielder with 30 home runs, 100-plus RBIs, hitting over 330, and he's not top 10. And then I had to show young commander, look who was winning the MVPs in those days. One of them was Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez. He did have 100. I mean, I, I, I know the, the stories behind him, but he had 164 RBI that year. Pudge Rodriguez. Yeah. Jason Giambi. Miguel Tejada. You go through that list of American League MVPs during Bernie's best years, what were all those guys doing? Not saying that they didn't have – I'm not saying Giambi didn't have great numbers. I'm not saying Juan Gon or Pudge or any of those Tejada. guys. Tejada didn't have great numbers, but what are they all associated with? Steroids. So you have guys that I believe was doing it right and guys that were doing tremendous stuff, and they never truly got – they're going to be like the victims of that era because – was Giambi really that good of a player without it? No. Were any of those guys really that great without it? I don't know. Moneyball wants, wants me to believe that it took three players to replace Giambi. So it's like, what would Bernie Williams' career be with one MVP? How much would you, how differently would you look at his 16 years if you threw in the four rings, the All Star games, the gold gloves, the batting title? Oh, yeah, and he was MVP. Yeah. Uh, all right, let me ask you this before Dan, Dan Hayes is on his way over. Let me ask you this. Bernie or Andrew Jones, who should go in first? Ooh, one guy's <laughs> – one guy's. Uh. well, the stats are – the stats are – the stats are definitely going to go to Andrew Jones. Yeah. Stats will go to Andrew Jones. World Series will go to Bernie. World Series will go – well, let's ask Dan. All right, we're going to ask you the tough question. Sure. Because we just had Bernie Williams on. Oh. Okay. Tough act to follow. So he just asked me, so you got two guys that I think, uh, you talk about incredible careers. Who should go in the Hall of Fame first, Andrew Jones or Bernie Williams? I mean, give me the 400 home runs and the guy that did. I, I Bernie Williams is fantastic. It's a tough call, huh? I'm not going to lie. I've been voting for Andrew Jones, I think, the last two years on my ballot. So I'm going Andrew Jones, but, I mean, it's a really – Talk about two of the most dominant center fielders of that era. Always in the postseason, always coming up big. Bernie Williams is amazing, but Andrew Jones hit 400 home runs. How I about that? How about I just let and maybe yeah. this may change it. How about Bernie's career in the postseason? 121 games, 22 jacks, 80 RBIs, and an 850 OPS. Yeah, I mean, doesn't between him, Pettit, Posada, Jeter. All those guys made themselves so much better as far as Hall of Fame candidates by what they did in their Octobers. And they got so many Octobers. So, yeah, I mean, those are incredible numbers. He's just 
it's it's as close. Uh, it's always tough when the regular season resume doesn't quite reach some of the guys of that era. And you think about the offensive numbers of that era. And it's almost not because we were just talking about him. Like, he had some years that were definitely, if he had those years now or yeah. the years before, if he had those numbers before the steroid era, easily MVP. Yeah. But in his era, we're looking at the MVPs are Jason Giambi, Juan Gonzalez, Pudge oh, Rodriguez, man. Miguel Tejada. These guys were all associated with steroids. Right. And that's the toughest thing for your job yep. in this vote is – how do we decipher how to vote, how not to vote, how to do this thing? And, and honestly, the way I've done it is so far, as long as the rules were not in place at the time, and, and I'm going to have to decide on Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez eventually. Yeah. But I voted for Bonds. I voted for Clemens. I voted for you know, a bunch of people who were, quote, unquote, associated potentially. And and it's, look, it's a, it's a weird situation that baseball did not clean it up itself, and they want me to do it as a voter with half the information. I don't know who really did it, and that's a thing that I always – if they didn't clean it up and they, they put Bud Selig in and he oversaw the era, I, I think it's a Hall of Fame – the Hall of Fame is a museum of baseball. It's a place where the game is celebrated. I just don't know how you overlook that era entirely. And – I, it, it's disappointing to me personally not to see Bonds and Clemens in, the the guy with the most home runs and one of the best pitchers of all time. And I know both their careers were extended, but they were elites before their careers were going to be extended. So it's a uh, it's a subject that I, you know, I, I know I'm uh, definitely, if I talk to players, they're going to be divided with me on this. There are some that just say no way, but I think there's a lot of guys who got in already that we don't know about. And you were a kid growing up in the Bay Area at that point. I was. And hey, I'm not going to lie. My own personal experiences with uh, the left fielder from the Giants were not, you know, he was probably one of my favorite players. And I don't know that I came away from personal experiences necessarily liking him. And and that's a weird thing when you're that much of a, a fan at the time. But um, I, I set that stuff aside. I voted for Schilling. I don't agree with Kurt Schilling about 90% of what Kurt Schilling says. But, man, if he wasn't an all-star and a Hall of Famer on the field. And I just try to take all of that stuff out of it. And uh, so, I mean, look, Andrew Jones, who knows if, if his numbers were inflated. Um, Bernie Williams would still be a star today. That's what I, I, I will definitively say how this conversation is. I think Bernie Williams could do the same exact performance right now, and we'd have another whole appreciation for what he did. Where did you grow up in the Bay Area? Uh, Ronert Park. I actually just spent the last three nights there, so it was a good couple days. Is the whole family still here? Uh, yeah, everybody's still here. Yep. Took the uh, smart train down today, took the uh, ferry across from Larkspur. It's a good day. Yeah, nice. Well, welcome yeah. back home. Yeah, thank you. So how's it been following the Twins around as this team is uh – Let's just say people had the White Sox already winning this division, right. and this division was over, and the Twins are like, not so fast. I'll tell you what, um, it's something that the A's fans saw a lot the last couple of years. That infield defense, when it's as elite as it can be, when you've got guys just taking hits away, it sucks the life out of the other team. Twins have been doing that all season. Gio Urshela right now is playing some of the best third base I've ever seen defensively. Uh, you can look at the highlights. They're incredible. Uh Correa's been down for 10 days. I think we'll see him tomorrow or Wednesday. His defense has been outstanding. Jorge Polanco is a shortstop playing second base, and he plays it really well. And, and then you throw in the fact that Luis Arise, who really has no position 
uh, has played first base convincingly well. They have a really good infield defense, and then you throw in Byron Buxton and you throw in Max Kepler and right. I mean, it's they're catching everything. They're making their pitchers' jobs easier, and that, I think that's been the key to this so far and why I think it will sustain because, honestly, you look at their pitching. We talked about it earlier in the season, I think. I think we talked maybe right before opening day. The Twins need Frankie Montes. I know a lot of teams need Frankie Montes. <laughs> but the Twins you are – You want to do You want to do a deal now? I, hey, I've already had a couple worked out, you know. Uh, but, no, uh, I would like the reunion. Are you giving us something good? Don't give me – Oh, man. Have you seen their, their farm system's doing all right? So, it's uh, in fact, their shortstop, their current shortstop, I think is a guy that a lot of teams have been intrigued by. I don't know that they'll trade Royce Lewis because I think they have the expectation that Correa will be here one year. Um, and, and yeah, use that's that an interesting deal. Oh, well, I want to ask you about just going to Houston. Yeah. Just how tough was that for Korea not to play? Uh, actually, they came to they came to the Twins. Houston trip is in August. Okay, they came, but they but got he, to play against the Astros. Had to be brutal. He was. You could tell. You could just tell. But he also. So initially, when he got hurt, they thought it was a broken, a non-displaced fracture, which would have been. So when the A's were there. Yeah. Eight, uh, they, he, yeah, exactly. They they found out the day that the A's arrived that it was actually just a bone bruise. So they went from thinking, we just lost our superstar for six to eight weeks to, man, we can get him back within ten days. And they were hopeful that it was going to be four or five. Turned into it's going to be six, seven. And you could tell he really wanted to face the Astros. But for guys that I've covered in 16 years, he has a better grasp on where he is physically and what he needs to do. And – is willing to take an extra day or two. And, you know, I know sometimes that will drive a fan mad. But if he, we just talked to him about Byron Buxton because Byron Buxton is a constant topic with Twins fans taking a day <laughs> here or there. And he said, look, I would rather have Byron Buxton seven down to ten days uh, than to and have him in September than to have him play ten out of ten and be out a month and, and that kind of thing. And he's trying to – get across to Byron Buxton some of the stuff that he is doing with himself and looking out for the team, and it's kind of working. Uh, You know, Buxton, when he's playing, is playing elite. He's missed, I think, 11 games out of their first 35. It might be 12. And the other night in an extra innings game against the uh, Guardians, they you know, game that Shane Bieber starts, you always want to win those games, and they had a shot, and they didn't pinch hit Buxton late, and Kind of, they got a lot of flack for that, and the Twins said, "No, this is our plan. Don't fire him up on that day." And it's uh, it's working out well. It's really strange. There's a lot of good talent between the Twins. They just they're going to need more pitching to keep it going. But the defense is real. The bullpen's got a lot of interesting looks, and the lineup is deep. You know, Correa, who we've seen for years, he is the dude. Yeah, he is that guy that you get into the postseason and. Uh, he makes things happen. I mean, he is a legit player. I thought it was a great deal for the Twins because, yeah, it could be a one-year deal. It could be a two-year deal. Okay, you could We could see him maybe love Minnesota like a lot of people have. Maybe he yeah. signs a long-term deal. But, you know, worst comes to worst, it's one year of this prize guy. You got the super prospect coming up who the A's got to see in that series. But what, so far, what do you think of Correa? Well, I just listened to what his teammates say, and they say, He's bringing us a lot of different ideas, just different ways to look at things so far. And they listen. You know, it's sort of this This guy's got 79 postseason games. And I know that there's some controversy with it, but he's also succeeded after that controversy. And I think that carries a lot of water with these guys because they lost 
to the 2020 uh, Astros in two. The Twins were the heavy favorites. The Astros were 29 and 31, just barely made the postseason, and they came in and just destroyed the Twins. I mean, it was like nine to one over the two games. It wasn't blowing them out, but the difference between the two teams was so significant, and they're drawing a lot of knowledge from him. Just they're doing infield practice with him, high-speed infield practice. And if they make an error, he's got them doing push-ups. It's sort of like the uh, Willie Mays Hayes hits a pop-up and drops and does the push-ups. <laughs> imagine Miguel Sano. It's 44 degrees. The opening series, I think it was Seattle was in, and it's like 44 degrees. And Miguel Sano drops down and does push-ups because he made a mistake in the field. He's just – there's a lot of cohesion. There's a lot of guys listening to him, and he's deferring to Byron Buxton. He's played it so smart, just keeps calling Buxton – the best player this is Buxton's team he's not overstepping his bounds even though he absolutely could and I, I think that has kind of got them on the same page which they not necessarily were the last couple of years and it was a little bit of a tense clubhouse the last couple of years and they are it's a lot more they just like playing with each other right now you may run like Mays, but you hit like <laughs> uh, one of the great lines ever uh, Buxton obviously I mean, signs the contract, great for the Twins. We know as an athlete, the guy is just, but it is the can you keep him healthy? Right. And then the fans are like, you're paying him all this money and you're babying him. He doesn't play every day. Like, like, like what's the deal? Yeah. It, it's, but he, I, I talked to him about this maybe an hour ago and he said, look, I haven't even played 100 games since 2017. I don't even know what that feels like. So we're trying to get there. We're just trying to start with that as the goal. And anything beyond that is sort of a pie in the sky, essentially. They're just excited to get him there. But they like the plan, and, and he is on board with the plan. And he said it's because he likes his teammates so much, and he wants to be there in September. He wants to be there in October. And, he, you know, 2019 was the year where it looked like it was going to happen. And then he had an incident where he ran into the wall in Miami, got totally confused, didn't know where the, the wall was separates his shoulder and that was a really good team and they had pitching maybe a little short on pitching but they had a good bullpen and they had a great lineup that team set the nl or mlb record for home runs in a season 307 they beat the yankees by one and uh it was a it was a loaded team that believed in each other and he ran into the fence separated his shoulder and was out for the season he doesn't want to do that he wants to be there and and being in october means a lot to him and so he's gonna go with this plan even though the competitor in him wants to play it's it's that uh, you can tell internally how much of a struggle there is with him because he wants to play and wants to play with his hair on fire, but he can't. So how much did the White Sox are winning this division with ease? They're the best team in the American League. I mean, we heard so much stuff down at spring training. Oh, yeah. How much did they take that and go, yeah, I'm not buying that? I think a lot because they've won. This is a team that won the division in 19 and 20. And they know they're good, and now they have Carlos Correa pushing some buttons too. And I think they think Byron Buxton is probably a top three player in baseball, and they think they're going to have him. And if they have him on the field, they can win. And so, again, they're going to need pitching. Frankie Montas just switched jerseys, walk on over. Wow. He's pulling the Ricardo Rincon, just walk <laughs> from one clubhouse to the other. But it's uh, they're going to have to solve the pitching. They have three rookies and they're all going to hit their innings limits in August and September. So they're going to have to do something. But uh, I think that there's a lot of belief that they're still a good team. And, yeah, the White Sox have been great. The White Sox have looked good the last two years. But 
the defensive difference right now is a huge, huge chasm. I mean, the White Sox have probably cost themselves six games. Twins have probably won five or six games with their defense, and I think they they know they're going to play good, sound ball and make the other team make the mistake first. Well, I'll tell you what. You start thinking about it, it starts warming up in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Next thing you know, the, the, the fans are going to be packed. It's going to be this, this, and Cleveland – yeah. Is, is shocking people again. They're now talking about what they like about Cleveland. They hit for batting average. They hit for contact. All of a sudden, people like that again. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's it's good seeing the ball being put in play. It's not terrible. <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much for yeah. the time. It's great to bring you back home. Yeah, thank you. And, and uh, having you on the program, and we'll talk later on this year. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're, we, I've been hearing we're out of time. Yeah, we are. Let's, uh, we, we are. you got to get upstairs and – do pregame. I hate. I hate. Thanks, I hate that. I, I felt, I'm just. Re- I got notes. I got. I got that whole thing on the Yankees being a house of cards. Did you want to hear that real quick? Fifty point three percent of their runs are scored by homers. You think that's gonna play? Oh, yeah, you did that already. I did that already. Yeah, you mentioned that. Uh, by the way, Judge and Judge and Stanton are in the top four in the American League. Okay, I don't know what the score is of this game yet, but Yankees Orioles Camden Yards. Child check free right now. Has yielded just two home runs hit to left or uh, the left of center field. So center field all the way over in 18 games, just two two home runs. Why the left field wall was pushed back 26 and a half feet and raised seven feet four inches to 13 feet. Jose Trevino with a home run to right field. Yankees up 4-1. But so, not to left yeah, field. Not to left, so ha. they're up 4-1. Camden Yards no longer the band box it used to be. Well, it didn't really help the Orioles. We want to thank Scott Emerson. We want to thank Ken Korak. We want to thank Dan Hayes. And we want to thank the great Bernie Williams for coming on A's Cast Live to talking about uh, and we just wave into Bernie right there. We're really yeah. friends with Bernie now. I know. Uh, real quick, tomorrow we're going to have Sonny Gray and Frankie Montas. I want, I want another four-time World Series champion tomorrow. Can you make that happen? Uh, probably not. Not not. I don't know if there's any, anyone's around. I want another guy that's, I have, that has that kind of resume. We should have a guy like that, that kind of resume, every single time on the program. Yeah, I don't know if there's – I don't know anyone around here that has that resume. All right, you're slipping. <laughs> All right, Sonny Gray tomorrow on the field. Sonny Gray and Frankie. First, I think this will be the first time I think on the field we've had Frankie. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, that's true. I don't think we. That's surprising. We never have. We've had. I've even had Frankie on from. Uh, I call it Pac Bell Park. You call it AT and T. They now call it Oracle Park in San Francisco. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. If, uh, and then Sonny Gray tomorrow as well. And we're gonna have Corey Provis, the voice of the Twins, on the radio as well. So good show again tomorrow. They're, tra- so. they're traveling. Uh, yes, they are. Isn't that crazy? We're still at a point to where, like, Angels didn't travel. I didn't realize the Angels aren't traveling their radio guys. Yeah, it's Terry Smith and uh, Mark Langston went traveling. But they weren't tra- But they weren't traveling their TV, and then they yeah, had issues, they are, so yeah. they decided to yeah. travel TV. Well, we saw Gooby the other day. And where is our buddy Mark Langston? Uh, the great San Jose State Spark ho- Mark Langston. Hopefully we'll talk to – I might reach out to Langston for Friday since we're playing the Angels again so quick. We got them again next week? Oh, no, no, no. This couple days from now. Oh, God. If it's not him, it'll be our good friend, Matty V. Oh, that's right. We have the day off on Thursday and then the Angels. Yeah. Oh, that'll be fun. All righty, A's baseball, you're coming, coming your way. A's against the Twins. That will be at 640. We'll have A's total access brought to you by? Chevron. That will be at 540. Great job, Commander. 
And what are we going to play now? Uh, the Mark Kotze Show. The Mark Kotze Show. The Skipper next right here on A's Cast. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 